Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I try to open up my senses more. So when I go for a walk, if I'm on, uh, obviously, the Hampstead Heath or Highgate Woods, because it's near me, I open up my ears a bit more. I start listening and, and questioning what I'm hearing. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to the host of the podcast, Into the Wild, Ryan Dalton. Hello, I'm Steve Whiteley and welcome to Balancing Acts, a series of conversations with an array of creatives. We talk about their journey, the struggles they faced whilst progressing their career, strategies they use to unlock their creativity, how they balance their career with their personal lives, what impact this has had on their mental health and lots more. So Ryan is a former stand-up comedian. He was performing for, I think, around seven or so years. He also ran his own nights to Comedy Wire based in Surbiton, Surrey, Bracknell and Berkshire. Uh, performed at a couple of his own nights. And we'd often see each other at gigs. And uh, as we touch upon in the podcast, out and about in Hampstead Heath, wherein Ryan was dog walking because he has a, also has a dog walking business. However, Ryan had also been running his own podcast. And then when the pandemic hit, he decided to pivot slightly and interview personalities and experts in the wildlife and nature world. And now Ryan is solely focusing on that. So it's really interesting talking to him about that journey. We take a deep dive into some of the subject matters covered in the podcast and how as a result of Into the Wild, Ryan is fronting and creating a film about trophy hunting in Namibia. We get into that and and loads more. It's not an area that's really been touched upon in the podcast, so very curious to find out more from Ryan and also how he's transitioned from stand-up comedy to the podcast. On a separate note, there's something I want to share with you guys. When you hear the podcast, you hear the finished product and that may sound slick because, you know, it's edited and put together, etc. But I would love to invite you to be a fly on the wall when I'm recording some of these intros. Sometimes I have to redo them like 20 times because I stumble on words, etc. And I'm just like cracking up, imagining people just watching me say the same lines over and over again, like a broken record. Maybe it's funnier in my head than it would be just observing it. I mean, observing it, you'd probably just be like, come on, man, get your shit together. But anyway, that's my, that's my share for you, just to let you know the struggles that I go through when creating this podcast. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe and rate and review it on Apple. That would be 
much appreciated tell your friends share the love mikasa sukasa doesn't even make sense but we'll go with it and now without further ado over to ryan it's great to see you because we were just saying before we started the last time we saw each other was on Hampstead heath and you were dog walking yes yeah as always (laughs) that and that was pre-pandemic do you know what, Steve? I can't fucking remember no, anything no. anymore. To be honest, it's a bit of an inane question. It doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, <laughs> that, that's just the last time we saw each other. Yeah, this is the last time we saw each <laughs> Could other. Could have been last week, to be honest, yeah. mate. Yeah, and uh, I feel like you know, during this whole last couple, this couple of years, obviously everything's changed, and people end up doing trying different things, and then you know, as as a matter of, well, really, out of necessity. You know, because of what, we, what you were doing before was you doing a lot of stand up. You were running your own nights. Yeah, and that was keeping you very busy. And now you're you're having to sort of, I guess, start again. Not start from scratch, but like, what what was your what was your thinking during that period of time when you couldn't do stand up? We'll get obviously to the podcast, but were you straight away thinking, right? I need to find uh, another sort of avenue to channel my creative energy. Yeah, yeah, I was. I think everyone felt that. I think. Everyone I spoke to certainly felt that. I definitely, yeah. I, 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 don't get me wrong. There was two or three weeks where you're like, oh, I've been waiting for this. Because you can't really, it's very hard to take a break from anything creative, really, because it's so opportunistic. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. waiting for those chances to come up. So you could book a holiday and then suddenly, I don't know, the Glee Club asks you to do a weekend in yeah. that, and then that's fucked. It's gone. So it's so hard to be able to take that break. So I think, for me, at first, I was like, oh, this is going to be sick. Let, let's rest up for a bit and recharge your batteries. The other thing is I actually went into 2020 going, the stand-up comedy going, right, this is, this is the last year I'm going to really push it. And if nothing, if I don't progress, and I mean, I'm not saying that but like from a TV and industry level, just from if I don't progress, be able to make that level of cash from it, then yeah. I'll just I'll step away. Okay. Um, How long have you been performing? How long have you been performing up to that point? Seven years, I think. Okay, so you've been going for a while. Yeah, I mean, if you take out the years, I mean, probably, probably four, four and a half, really going for it, like doing, like you know, but I guess doing it being full freelance, so you know, you could give a lot more time to it, not having a job on the side, but working for anyone else. But so I was really like keen to kind of push into that and then covid happened and i was like oh fuck okay well that, that's that's that plan buggered so mm. i was like well i guess the next thing i could do is see how i feel not doing it for mm. a while like it kind of would answer that question that you can only get an answer to by not doing stand-up so i just thought i'd see how i feel and then like you said the creative outlet is still i don't think that ever goes away so you're like i need to be doing something so that's that's i mean that's i mean we won't talk about that now but that's where the podcast came up really yeah. And did you have like in the back of your mind, because I, you know, you've always been obviously a wildlife enthusiast. Um, yeah. Did you have that idea in the back of your mind prior to COVID or was it simply COVID happened? You had time on your hands and you thought, you know what? I'm very passionate about wildlife and nature. I'm going to start a podcast about it. It's, it was two things because I was already doing the podcast before COVID, but it was a lot more like a bit, it was a bit of QI style where i would sit with a couple of comedians would talk about three animals kind of thing and we'd just right. i'd go into depth about them but that was so much fucking work as in it was so much pressure on me to know everything and i'm a bit of a generalist right. with nature anyway 
but it was so hard to do so it was it honestly took up so much time steve it was like to the point i was like this isn't worth doing and then when lockdown happened when we went into it i kind of sat down on an afternoon just pen and paper i thought well maybe this is a good time to restructure the podcast and make it work a bit better and then I suddenly, like, loads of people were saying, like, oh, everyone's stuck at home bored. Every TV show you put on, go, let's film this celebrity and see what they're not doing in their house. So I was like, is that if literally what everyone's doing? So that's where I just, I went on Twitter and just DM'd Steve Backshall, the BBC Wildlife presenter, and said, do you want to have a chat about nature on the phone? I'd love to have you on. And he just said yes. And I went, grand. So then two days later, we were recording. We had a half an hour chat on the phone. I recorded it. Very, on loudspeaker it was so amateur um but that was one of our that was the first episode or the second episode i think and then it got a lot of shares and got a lot of listens and then i realized when i compared that to the old episodes i was doing the comedy style i was like actually i'm tapping into the niche here that there's a there's a better niche where people want nature chat that's laid back they don't want a comedy podcast with comedians talking about nature like that because right. it's very that's too I don't know, not what the wildlife world wants. So I suddenly started to realize there's all these amazing people in the nature industry that are on Twitter, on social media, science communicators, and they're all got so much to say. So I was like, yeah. I could have a chat with them. And that's that's how that kind of started. So yeah, it was a bit of a restructure, really, I guess, that just blew up. That's super interesting. And how much of your time now do you spend on the podcast? Because like it's very, it's edited very professionally. Like I, I was, you know, I did a bit of a, a deep dive into some. My of editor's going to love you for that. Is it? Yeah, give him a little plug. But, no, <laughs> it's, it's, but not just that. You know, you've you've got like you keep the the social media up to date. Obviously, I know that's sort mm. of like granted everyone's. That's what you do with the podcast editor. But I just yeah. means like you clearly put a lot of time and effort into running it. Yeah, I think when I first started it, and it started getting the. I think the first five episodes were going really well, and um john maher a comedian great comedian said to me he went do it weekly and i was like really he went do it weekly he said if you don't do that weekly it will drop off and you won't keep it up and i was like oh yeah that's a good point so i committed even in the lockdown i'd so random i had to go and live we had to go and live on my girlfriend's narrow boat in london because there was an issue in our house so myself my girlfriend and then you these You're, things happen to me, Steve. Ryan is a very tall man, by the way, if you don't know. <laughs> and he was living in a narrow boat. I lived in it. I didn't stand up in it. <laughs> so, okay, but that's even harder then. So what, you were just sort of like yeah. hunched down? Leaning everywhere. Yeah. yeah. A lot okay. of leaning. But it was also bliss weather, do you know what I mean? Do you remember the first lockdown? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was nice. breeze every day. Okay, it was nice. So it was all right. We, were, yeah. we could stand outside. But even then, I was like, well, I can't not do the podcast. So I was recording them on the boat. Just right. like I had all my stuff with me. And That's it was, fun. Yeah, it was good fun. And it, I was committed to doing it. I wanted to do it and stuff. And um, it, it kind of, at the beginning, it was a lot of work because I was editing it myself. So it would take, I mean, from recording an episode, let's say that's uh, an hour and a half. And then you're editing, you're spending three or four days on it, a couple of hours yeah. at a time. And then you're, you're tweeting it and then you're keeping up the promo for it. And then I think, when was it? Maybe a year ago this wonderful man called oscar my knight in editing armor (laughs) just messaged me and was like i'm a wildlife guy i love the podcast i've just finished university i'd love to edit your podcast for you for a bit of cash and at that point i had a sponsor in that was paying me and i thought well i don't need all that money and if it's going to save all my time so now it's i record them send him everything and he sends it to me and it's bash done and I just tweet it. So now the workload is massively down, which is, guys, so much fun. 
yeah. <laughs> now I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, it's a grind. What about it's... you? Do you find it hard? Dude, do you do I, it all like... yourself? Yeah, I, no, I have an editor as well, but I, I'm not as consistent as you. I took like quite a four month break. Uh, and then I've yeah, just what, a four, had month, a four break. month break. Yeah. And so I've just got back. I've done like, <laughs> this, this is like the fifth episode of, after an interim period. I basically, what happened was, is I got hit by a car in April and then um, I had a wait, bit. Wait, pause, what? <laughs> you can't yeah, I, just I, fucking I, throw I, that out. I got into a fight with a car after a couple of drinks one night. I was cycling and back lost. and uh, this, this Uber driver just did a sudden right turning. And I was just cycling across the road and I ended up landing on his bonnet. But anyway, as a result of that, I I had a bit of concussion. I didn't really realize I had concussion at the time. I was a little bit all over the place. But uh, yeah, the comedy, I I took the time out and and my girlfriend and I decided to just up and leave. And we were were working remotely from living and working remotely from Madeira. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to take some time out for a bit. So I did, but now I'm doing it again. But what you say, I think, rings so true. And I think it's like true of any form of, of content creation. Consistency is, is key. Yeah, it was the best advice I think I had prior to the podcast. And because it's so easy to go, oh, I'll do it every two weeks. I'll do it a month. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But then, I, and it's work and it's hard because now we, you know, we're up to like 79 episodes. And I'm like, uh, is there still people to talk to? And then, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But of course there is. Yeah, but it's like it's finding them, and it's then you've got that element of work of going right. Well, w- should I record them week on week, or should I just bash out five episodes in a week and keep them in the bank? So I've got them. So there's all that kind right. of crap and planning it really. But then also, I guess I, I think when the when the money side of it's coming in, you don't mind putting that workload in. Yeah, of course, of course, it goes from mm. being a, a hobby to like a paid job, isn't it? exactly yeah it's a good job you must you enjoy it surely yeah I, I absolutely love it I love it like you know you get to have you know it's like you have conversations with all these people with and you know, some of yeah. them who you didn't know before then become friends and also just the yeah. amount of information that you start to retain on different oh, Christ on a bike yeah right yeah. I mean yeah. I know if we had Mate, a pub quiz, pub quiz and the subject matter was nature and wildlife I know who I'd want my team <laughs> Nature, wildlife, or seventies clothing. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else? I'm fine. Do you miss doing stand up? But do you miss the whole scene? Two questions. Yeah, it is. It is two questions. Yeah. yeah. Do, uh, do, do, do you miss, miss, do you miss performing stand up? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do I miss the scene? No. No, I don't mean the scene as in the scene because it is scenesterish, but I mean in terms of the whole, you know, the whole environment of doing a gig and then you might chat shit with a you know comedian after or you know that the social element to it. Um, no, okay. I don't miss that bit, and that's yeah. no, that's no judgment on the people I was talking to at all. So I don't want anyone listening to that going, "Oh, he's a miserable cunt," but because it, it it's not that, it's more. I find the people I'm talking to now, you know, after a podcast or like you said, you make friends through this. Like, you know, I've got nature friends now that I've never met, but I've known for nearly two years, which yeah. is insane, really. But I think... What a great, what a great thing to say is that I've got nature friends. <laughs> they're all badgers. <laughs> <laughs> but they're wonderful people. They're so empathetic. They're so lovely. And you learn from them, which is I absolutely yeah. love. So I think... I think those are the people I needed to be socialising and talking to more. And I think 
and again that is no judgment on the people doing stand-up but you're also we're all so different do you know what i mean it's it was hard to right. find people you connected with in, in comedy because you're all there for yourselves or for your yeah. specific voice and reason i do miss being on stage like you know there's there's moments where someone will put a picture up of you know i don't know the comedy store on a friday night or yeah. you know top secret comedy club and i'm like well that looks banging do you know what i mean and you yeah. know that's gonna be good fun but i don't miss it enough to go i, I need to go back to it but yeah. then also i don't know i guess do you feel that door can never fully close can it no it's always like it's always a, it's jar, a skill isn't it? It? <laughs> yeah anytime you, you don't wanna... lose it no well some no. people do <laughs> some people never had it um but they never had it mate can't lose what you didn't have <laughs> exactly so i'm all right with that i'm all right with that <laughs> no absolutely not. i won't let you say that in the podcast <laughs> but i um yeah i don't know i think doing the podcast is almost like doing stand-up for me when i'm doing the intro yeah. and stuff yeah. like that it's a right. bit of a i'm talking into a microphone i'm performing and it's led on to some exciting things that was almost stand-up it's certainly presenting so I wanted to talk to you about that because I was listening to, I, t- I really enjoyed the episode with is it T- Tanya Esteban. Yes. Yeah. Tanya. She's amazing. I, I was drawn to that because this idea of, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation is Ikigai. Ikigai. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and I liked it because it kind of ties in with some of the themes on this podcast about trying to find a sense mm. of balance. But yeah. do you want to can you explain a little bit about Ikigai and sort of that whole Japanese philosophy in terms of your conversation? Yeah, it's... It, do you know what? Because it was an interesting one because I had no idea what it was going to be about. Uh, Tanya, right. I've been trying to book an episode with Tanya for ages, but she's very busy. She's an amazing wildlife filmmaker for BBC yeah. and stuff. And we finally sat down. She just made this short film called The Guardians of Ikigai. Um, and she had spent it just before lockdown being in Japan and travelling around. And it's really focusing about the imperfections and celebrating them and kind of knowing i mean i think the one thing we we have lost in the west is that connection with nature but elsewhere in the world they still have that connection and use that and it it kind of paves their anything from their artwork to their writing to their film to their belief system the way they live and stuff and it was really like following a I think, was it the, oh God, this is so long ago I had this chat, Steve. But this is what I mean, we're doing an episode every week, you forget shit. Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> it was, so Tanya had made this film about some wildlife in Japan and then wanted this artist to do her spoken word over it. It's a beautiful film. It's, okay. absolutely, it's only 15 minutes long, but it's, um, there, was, there was a lot about talking about the imperfections and rather than fearing them or closing them off, celebrating them as well, which was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh... Yeah, in terms of immersing yourself in nature, a bit of forest bathing mm. never goes amiss. Yeah, have you done that? Tried it once, and uh, I just sort of, I don't know. I, I don't know, I just lay there. I laid down for a few minutes waiting for some epiphany to hit me, and it never did. <laughs> so I got up, and I carried on with my day. I've cracked on. Yeah. I don't think I was doing it swimming? right. Sorry? Wild swimming or anything? Big fan of that. I mean, Hampstead okay. Heat is about as wild as it gets. Um, yeah, <laughs> okay. It's pretty I wild. surf. I surf. Do you surf? Yeah, I really love surfing. That's cool. So, how do you think you were doing forest bathing wrong? Well, I was doing it as part of a bike ride. Actually, me and my friend we were bike riding, and then we just decided to. Well, have you heard about this forest bathing thing, mate? It's like, yeah, yeah. Should, yeah. We, should we give it a go? What? Should we give it a go? What? You and me? Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. 
Uh, no, that's not happening. But yeah. uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> we lied down, and uh, no, it was look, it was it was it was pleasant. But I'm sure it's the sort of thing you need to be spending a bit of time doing. You don't want to be in a rush. You're going out your way to do that as part of a process, mm. right? Have you done it? Yeah, it's. I don't think I sat down to do it, but I think it's something because I, I nature. This is going to sound a bit hippie. It doesn't matter, does it? It's who I am. But it, nature for me means so much that I think if I walked to a top of a hill and looked over the landscape, whether that was like ocean, sunset, sunrise, whatever, that for me is almost like that bathing. I don't have to try to yes. do it. It just yeah. kind of happens. I'm immersed in it, so yeah. I enjoy it. And it's almost like a meditation for me, I think. That's a great point. Yeah, that's, that's mm. very true. I, the reason why I mentioned that episode, because you were saying about how, mm. you know, the podcast has created all these different, you know, opportunities and open doors for you. Yeah. I was curious to find out more. You mentioned it in that episode that you're making a film in Namibia. And yeah. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. T- t- <laughs> tell me what, what that's, what, what's happening. How did that come about? So if we had spoken two years ago and you <laughs> said to me, Ryan, what do you think of trophy hunting in Africa? Um, you know, American or Western people going out to shoot wildlife for money. I'd be like, oh, that's fucking sick. You know what I mean? I'd be like, nah, they need to ban that. That's horrible. And about six months into doing the podcast, I saw a thread on Twitter with uh, someone was commenting on it that had already been on my podcast. And I was like, oh, I don't really get that. Blah, 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 blah. Ask a few questions. And he just, we had a nice back and forth chat. And then he ended up DMing me going like, dude, this is a really big topic. You should probably cover it on the podcast. And I was like, really? And he was like, it's so trophy hunting is so misunderstood and misrepresented in the media that I think it's something you could probably read, have a good chat about. And he said, but do do us a favor, don't talk about to it to a white Western person, talk to people in Africa. And I was like, yeah, well, how the hell am I going to do that? And he said, well, leave it with me. And he's a professor. He's a, he's a wonderful man. He's become a good friend of mine. Uh, he's Professor Adam Hart. Follow him on Twitter. Um, he is absolutely incredible. Does great stuff for wildlife conservation. Um, and he hooked me up for a Zoom chat to talk to a lady called Maxie Lewis, a guy called John Willimmer, and a lady called Lorna Dax, who all work um, at different stages for local governments or work with local people in Namibia. And they manage their trophy hunting. And it was basically a chance for me to sit down with these three people and say, like, sorry to be the white Western guy, but I'm going to ask some questions about trophy hunting. Like, why do you use it as a method of financial gain is what how is it not affecting wildlife populations how is it managed is it regulated all these kind of questions or should we ban it stuff like that and my eyes were just fucking opened so much to how much i didn't know about that so so how much i personally read about wildlife conservation i was like this is mad that in western media it's represented as as this you know the reason why wildlife is struggling is because of trophy hunting and it's the counter opposite wildlife is thriving in namibia like more so um than any other country in africa because of the way they utilize their wildlife to benefit not just the wildlife itself but the local communities because i think one thing we forget a lot is that with wildlife conservation we as a species humans are involved with that we rely on this planet for our for everything for food for medicine for you know mental health anything we, we rely on nature and even more so in countries like africa and and asia and south america where they have a cultural history of depending on wildlife and what africa and especially namibia have done is utilize their wildlife 
because you know you've had the colonial past where British people or you know some Western European country has gone in and taken over, and then when they've left, kind of at, Namibia went well, fuck it, we'll keep trophy hunting because it's making money. You know, we'll keep mm. farming because that's making a bit of money. Uh, yeah. We'll keep ecotourism like uh, safaris. So all it is really is Africa has just decided to keep the things they want to keep and are happy to keep and to make money from it. And so we had this amazing chat and I learned so much and I released the episode and Jesus Christ, Steve, did it get some backlash on Twitter? Like right, yeah. I was not, I, I was kind of prepared, but not prepared. But so we, that was kind of a couple of weeks of dealing with some animal right activists saying that we had paid these people to talk, <laughs> which is not true um, and stuff like that. And then probably about two, three months on from that, releasing that episode, I said, to Adam that I can't believe that people still don't believe people in Africa. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're ignoring these people. Like, yeah, fair enough if you read an article and you don't believe it, but these, it's come from these people's mouths that have no reason to lie about this. Um, and they're still being told they're wrong. And he said, yeah, it is mad. And he said, but, you know, hearing it's one thing. He said, but seeing it would be another. Maybe we should go out there and film something. And I went, <laughs> yeah, okay. And then... Um, we thought, fuck it, let's try it. So we did a crowdfunder to support the podcast and we got a bit from that. And then a, a kind of a sponsor organization that sponsor wildlife documentaries, but they have to involve the local community got wind of our project. And they said, we would like to f- fully fund this for you to do it. So long story short, they are fully funding this. And that's incredible. In January next year. Now Namibia has opened up its travel. We are going to Namibia for two weeks to meet with local communities in Namibia. Uh, seven, at the moment, seven different locations, but probably be more nine or ten. Um, to basically sit down with them and me to get the chance to ask some more questions and just be like, let's find some more. But basically, see, what I'm trying to do is create something that people can't fucking argue with, because right. it's mad that they don't believe. You know, we. Month in, month out, and rightly so, we have Black Lives Matter in the UK. You know, people talk about Black Lives Matter, but as soon as we talk about Black Lives Matter in Africa, people don't give a shit. It's like, well, no, they're wrong, or that's that's not yeah. true. And I think that's never, I've, I've never sat, sat well with that. And I think these, with wildlife conservation, from how great Namibia are managing their wildlife and how poorly we're doing it over here in England, I think we've got stuff to learn from Africa. And I think they need. We need to be listening to this. And and you know, I'm I don't I'm not a fan of hunting. Um, I mean, what we're 25 minutes into the podcast, so it's important for me to now sound vegan. I've got to say it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but I don't like hunting. I don't. I wouldn't do it. And I don't understand people that would want to do it for money. But the fact is, I'm not African. I shouldn't decide what happens in with African wildlife. I should. I should. They should be leading that way. Not us. So what? So what's the deal then with the? the benefits of trophy hunting and that with obviously without any spoilers, because this is obviously going to be in your, in your film. <laughs> um, but in terms of what you discussed on your podcast, uh, explaining it to a Luddite like me, I saw, <laughs> I saw an episode, something, I don't know if it's the same thing, but I can't remember where it was. It was maybe somewhere in Canada where they released mm. these, uh, these wolves, which, which were, would almost been extinct. And then they brought them back into the wildlife. And as a result, it had this huge knock on effect on the whole, food chain ecosystem mm. due yeah. to all these different impacts and implications that I won't even, you know, attempt to explain, but I watched that and, and that kind of made sense to me uh, as sort of that, that's obviously not trophy hunting, but it's sort of like a, no. I guess, a like a positive form of, of culling of some sort. It's, 
I mean, that that's probably an example of rewild or reintroduction of a species, so a species that have been lost. Yeah. And it's um, something like a wolf in that area would be like a keystone species. So That's right, yeah. Um, so when we say yeah. keystone species, yeah, it's more something that that species itself can have so many knock-on effects to benefit the local area or local uh, habitat um, or surrounding habitat. So it can bring stuff back. It can control uh, prey species. So it can take down deer populations, which will help trees grow again, which will bring back mammals, birds, insects, and stuff like that. So with trophy hunting, and I, I guess the, the two important things to say about this is hunting as a topic is so diverse. There is not one type of hunting. There is a way to hunt. Shoot, go and kill an animal, duck. But that's not the process. The, the processes are different everywhere you go. Talking about trophy hunting specifically in Namibia, because again, it, it, it does work different, differently in different African countries and in America and Asia and places like that. And in this country, I will say England does have, and the UK has trophy hunting. And that is an important thing to make as well. We always think we're guilt-free and we're not. So what Africa is, or Namibia has done this amazing thing where they, they have conservancies, which are like, almost like counties or towns or settlements in Namibia. Um, and each conservancy will be given their species. This is what I've learned through doing the podcast. Well, they'll be given their species list for the year or for the next three years that they are allowed to sell permits for to hunt for, for people. So that might be, you might get giraffe, zebra, elephant, uh, lion, and hyena. Let's just say those are your five species. And on top of that, you'll be get told how many species, uh, how many individuals of those five species you're allowed to hunt. So let's say for elephants, it might be three. Mm-hmm. So in two years, they're allowed to sell three permits to kill three elephants. And those elephants are, um, that they know which elephants they are. They're not just random elephants. They are specifically targeted elephants because they m- might be old bulls that are not reproducing anymore. They might be uh, an animal that is not really in matriarch anywhere so it's not really having an effect on local populations or it's not going to disturb much then a permit will be sold to someone for x amount which i'm not going to say numbers because i don't know how much they go for but then the hunter will pay that will go out there for x amount of time let's say four weeks to try and hunt this elephant in namibia if they don't catch the elephant because there are no fences in namibia nothing's fenced in um if they don't find the elephant don't kill it then it doesn't die but the people still get the money so the money still goes in. So uh, there was a case in 2017 where three permits for elephants were sold, but only one was found. So the other two survived and they would never go back on that rota to get hunted again. Um, in that occasion, I'm not sure if that's changed um, in multiple locations. But so the main thing is what you've got there is it's incredibly regulated. It is not random hunting. It's not just go out with who you want, shoot what you want. It is incredibly monitored, regulated and done to a very strong kind of database level. Um, then you've got the money side. So let's say someone, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to drop a figure because I don't know how much this goes for. Let's just say 50 grand. Let's just mm-hmm. say someone pays 50 grand. 25 of that will go to supporting the local community of where that conservancy was. So that might go into education, healthcare, um, might go into just food. Cause uh, that's the other thing, like, you know, trophy hunting, you have people shoot an elephant. That elephant is stripped bare at about. 10 15 minutes there won't be anything left and then the hunter will take what he wants as his trophy or her trophy um so it's actually feeding because meat is very expensive in africa so it's you know it's sought after so people will yeah the meat is actually eaten as well and then the other 25 grand would go to supporting wildlife conservation so that could be um putting good secure fencing up around farmland so there's no conflict between people and animals could be putting fences up around schools so lions don't get into the ground um, it could be providing water areas, salt licks for animals. It could be 
paying a ranger's wage to prevent illegal okay. poaching okay. Um, or poaching. I don't think we need to say it's illegal. <laughs> Just poaching. So it's all that thing. So it basically, it's one type of way that Africa uses its wildlife to get money for its people and its wildlife. The same with ecotourism. Um, where people pay to get safaris, that money will get put back in. And the same with photo tourism and the same with, I'm not sure what else. I think with tourism, that's probably it. But I think the big thing with trophy hunting is to know that taking it away, just going ban that, which is a big, heavy thing in the UK. We like to say to them, ban trophy hunting. If you just ban it, there's no alternative to put in its place. And in areas like uh, Kenya and in South Africa where it has been banned what you have seen is a high rise of poaching go up because people are still going to hunt right. yeah, they're still going to illegally market. sell the permits yeah. yeah and then it's not regulated and then you have people killing pregnant lions and stuff like that which is more detriment to the um, wildlife itself so the concern amongst conservationists both in Africa and in the UK and some in America as well is that taking something like this away without a valid alternative, whether we want it to happen or not, and a lot of conservationists obviously don't like the thought of it, but we'll have more killings for wildlife than if you keep trophy hunting. And also, like we said, you're taking away African people's money, which I don't think is very ethical. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, in a nutshell, yeah, it's really deep. It's, I mean, the word I use the most is nuanced. It's it's not a black and white issue. It's nuanced. Well, that's There's something so that's come. I, I, I find that comes up time and time again. The different conversations I have on this podcast, you know, as partly the theme is balance, and and that is is so yeah. is so important, isn't it? And on all manner of subject matters, when we're yeah. living in such the divisive times, and it's either or, it's this or it's that, and you know, to cut through the noise, mm-hmm. you've got to be as uh, you know outspoken as possible. Nuance sometimes gets forgotten in the process quite often and there's no room for nuance on twitter i know that's why, I'm, that's why i really no tweet room. that's literally why i really tweet <laughs> but that's the whole idea of it is and, and i think what i want to do is create this film where we can go out there we can talk to local people and then we can bring this back and say to people this is like you know watch this yeah. and i'm not saying change your mind but just listen to these people that are seldomly listened to when we're trying to talk about this topic anywhere else and and this is going to be a documentary yeah do you know what steve i didn't want to call it a documentary at first because i was like i've not studied to do filmmaking and i feel like a bit of a twat going i'm gonna go make a film it's like is that your imposter syndrome speaking (laughs) (laughs) it's like joey essex going i'm gonna give stand-up a go it's like fuck off like do you know what i mean like yeah but you're you are a valued you're a valued member of that community now you host the podcast you speak to specialists each each week Mm. I mean, that means essentially you are a specialist of sort. You're a specialist of general nature and wildlife knowledge. And everyone starts... I guess I'm British starts, about it, aren't I? I know, I know. But it's funny, isn't it? Like, you, everyone starts... You think about all the people, all, all the people in all mm. the world. <laughs> I'm thinking about all the people. <laughs> everyone starts from somewhere, though, no matter what field they're in. Yeah. And you just start... And you, and you go through that period. It's like, I don't know about you, but I, when I first started off doing the podcast, anyway, I was like, who am I to do this? Who am I to talk about these? Yeah, I did think that. There was a lot of that going, no one's going to fucking listen to this. Mm. And it turns out they're not listening to me, but they're listening to the guests. But Tanya, actually, <laughs> I said that to Tanya, actually, off record. I said, like, hey, I felt a bit bad. And she went, why? You went, you're going out there filming something, putting it together and making a film. Why would you not call right. it a documentary? And I was like, yeah, because I'm an idiot. I'm British yeah. and I like to be self-critical. <laughs> but, but also from, you know, from a, a creative perspective, it's inspiring. You've, got, you've gone from doing 
stand-up comedy for X amount of years. You said to yourself, you're going to give it a certain period of time. Then obviously COVID happens. Mm. That kind of forces your arm a little bit. You then go yeah. all in on this new creative endeavor. And now as a result, you're going out to Namibia to make your own it's, film. It's mad. And I'm not just saying I that. I love that. Because I'm on I the love microphone. It. Like every time, every time like my mum or someone would be like, how's the plans with Namibia going? I'm like, I'm going to fucking Namibia. This is insane. Like, yeah. I, it's, I've never gone to Africa. I've certainly never gone with the intention to create something. And I just, I'm, I'm buzzing for it. And I'm excited to meet some people that I've already spoken via email with out there. And um, it's just, it's just insane. And I'm, I, I'm excited to learn. I'm excited to put it together and I'm excited to present it back to people. Like I said, not to change minds, but just to add a bit of, add a level of that nuance in, I guess. It'd be a great feeling when you, when you end up, um, which I'm sure you will screening it at film festivals, relevant film festivals. Oh, hell yeah. And you see your film on on the big screen. That's a buzz, man. I'm going to try and make it as, it's got to stick to what the podcast is. And the podcast is laid back and it's... Oh, yeah. So That's your personality. I think that's important. Yeah, it's got to come out in it. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll be wearing... I mean, I know your listeners can't see my shirt, although it is quite loud, but wearing cowboy shirts and shit like that. Your shirt's actually quite similar to the type of shirts that I used to wear when I was in character doing standard up. Do you know what? <laughs> That's, what? What a review. I was going to say your shirt's quite quiet for you, but I guess I only really saw you That was, that was stage, I, really. Yeah, that was just his character. Just my, my, for listeners who haven't heard me talk about my stand-up character before, I performed as a spoken word artist under the name of Wisebaum, and he would always wear very loud shirts. I mean, I like them. I think as I get older, I try, I'm trying to tone it down. Uh, Why? Fashion. I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know, you get to someone that, no, come on, mate, you know, now that's enough's enough. Let's just, let's, <laughs> let's blend in. <laughs> Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, If you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. Also, I saw that you retweeted a tweet from someone I very much admire, Hugo Hugo Tagholm. He's the, I think, the, he's like the CEO of the Surfers Against Sewage charity. He did oh. a tweet about sea level, sea level rising, and you know, being ironic about it. Not yeah, London. I went to a tour. Yeah, he did. He the, did. Was that the one of the the London? Wasn't the Thames one? Was it? Yeah, it was. You? It was the Thames one. Yeah, the picture. It was the Thames Barrier one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I went to a talk of his about six years ago. He gave a talk about mm. work that surfers against against sewage do, and like he it was so inspiring. And you know, being a surfer, I thought to myself, I was like, I can't be, I can't be enjoying the sea and not be doing anything to sort of contribute to protecting it. Yeah. And so I started donating after, after, after that. And I have done since. And, you know, I get their newsletters mm. and also, and, and I just think what they do is so great. They, you know, these beach cleans and I, I don't know. But yeah. I mean, do you find having interviewed all these people that in terms of thinking about what you can do to contribute, and you already are contributing by doing this podcast because you're getting information out there, but do you ever find there's a sense of overwhelm in terms of like, oh shit, the earth is going downhill. I don't know, <laughs> you know, 
okay, I'm vegan, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, what good is that going to do? Cause I'm, I watch, mm. you know, watching earth shot, you know, and I come away from it. And yeah. I'm like, oh, God, I know. Right, right. We need to do this, 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 and this, but it can be, and I'm sure loads of people can relate to, you know, this whole idea of climate change is very overwhelming. So did, like, how have you approached your sort of way of dealing with it and, and what you do? Um, a drink. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's necessary, regardless um, of climate change. I, I used to laugh, again, if you go back like, know, three years ago, I used to not laugh at eco-anxiety. I won't say that because I wouldn't laugh at anyone with that's, anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But I was going to say, like, I didn't go, know that, that term. That's that's an official term, eco-anxiety. Yeah, and it was, you know what? I learned about that in comedy before I even started doing what I'm doing now. And, you know, there were comedians talking about it. And I was kind of like, come on. Like, it's not about you. If you're going to talk about the planet, can we not talk about you? Like, I know you're struggling right. with it. Shit, we're all upset about it, but it's not about you. And the more I've dived back into nature and that industry now, I'm sat here going, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not thinking, oh, fucking hell with that yeah. and like it it does it genuinely and again another hippie phrase but the na- nature for me and, and biodiversity in the planet is like is like a friend and when it's treated badly i feel like i would feel if a friend was treated shit like so if i see someone just throw a cup on the floor like a tin can on the floor i'd be like fuck you like why would you do that like and it, it it's like a punch i actually feel it so when you see forest fires in brazil annually when you see extreme weather happening where it's not happened before when we're getting 18 degrees celsius in october in london i start to get worried because it's not normal i've never seen Hampstead heath so green for late october i've never seen that before so when i'm starting to see these kind of things happen i'm going i should be doing more i should be doing as much as i can i but but like you said i'm i'm, I'm only one person how much can i do but i think words <laughs> Although actions are important, words are also as important because, yeah, look, I'm vegan for the planet. And that's why I went vegan, because I can afford to not eat meat. I can change my diet. I don't have any health issues that say I can't. So I thought that's something I can do. I don't need to reduce. I can cut it out. Um, I refill all my plastic bottles in the house. So I refill, <laughs> you know, washing up liquid, hand soap, detergents, all stuff like that, shower gels. Everything we buy is paper-based, toilet rolls all paper-based. It's all stuff like that. We try and cut down our waste. I grow wildflower on my window boxes for the insects. I'm doing, I try to do so much, but I think your words sometimes are actually, and not your preachy words, they're just talking about it. I think that's one thing. If you're doing something, it could be, Steve, you've decided to buy oat milk instead of dairy milk. And if you just say to someone once, oh, no, I do. It's really nice. And actually, I found out these benefits to it. It's really cool. And then that, that passes on to someone. And, and, and what happens yes. is people start to change. I, I, you know, every conversation I have with someone about the planet, the first thing I'll try and tell them is, what energy company are you with? Yeah, mm-hmm. change it to a renewable energy one. Mm-hmm. That is the best fucking thing that everyone has the power to do is to change their energy company. Because if everyone does that and there is enough energy for it, politicians will follow and start investing into those kind of energy companies. Because it, then you know, there was a phrase, uh, there was a quote from the CEO from Good Energy who said that politicians aren't leaders; they're followers. They follow where the market goes. Yeah. So all we got to do is get people over, and they'll start investing into it, and they'll probably end up taxing it at some point. <laughs> I don't know how, but they will. That idea of um, you know changing consumer habits and behaviors that go that's that goes across the board, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. energy companies mm-hmm. is, is a great um, example, but it's yeah, the power is with the consumers. I believe so. 
I, and, 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 you know, a lot of people will go like, well, it's not up to us, it's up to the big corporations. And you're like, no, you're right. It is, you know, that, and, and that is where the big problems are. But don't underestimate the power that you have with your voting, with your voice, with your money, because, you know, capitalism involves you and I. It does because we have money. So we pay into the system. So we have to be careful where our money is getting paid into. You know, yeah. look up a company before you sign up with them. If you've got your internet company or you, even your, down to your pension, start looking up who's got your money. What are they investing it into? Are you happy with that? If you're not happy with it, change it. Change it to something. And it, I think the power to ask questions and the power to talk about it is one of the best things you can do. Um, mm. And just ask questions as well. Like the, the thing is, like no one gets it all right. I fuck up all the time. I end up doing something. They go, ah, oh, shit, that should have gone in the, the other bin or that's not compostable but it's like well yeah but then you learn from it don't you so i do always think like what could i be doing more on the subject then of eco anxiety um yeah go on <laughs> what do you do outside of your your podcast and your work to to relax and unwind and to find a sense of peace hmm. i walk my dog or i just i just like like well, I got a dog last year, rehomed a dog with my girlfriend, and she's the best. I mean, I know everyone listening with a dog is going to tell me to shut up, but she's the best dog on the planet. Everyone's dog is the best dog on the planet. <laughs> yeah. She makes me everyone's really kid. happy. Yeah. Yeah. If you, that, know happens, yeah I don't, you know what happens, though, right? This is what I've noticed. So you start <laughs> off, people get, couples get a dog, right? They, they get the dog because yeah. it's sort of like, it's good training. It's, it's good to, see, to work out whether you can, you know, you're, you're viable as a couple to raise a child to see how you get on well together, what tensions arise, et cetera. Then eventually that goes well. You go, all right, cool. Well, this is all right. We should, we should have a kid. Then the baby comes along and all the sort of, you know, all the love and you know, how much you doted on this dog completely vanishes and it goes straight to the baby. And then the dog is just neglected. It just happens. I agree. And it's you know human what? nature. It's human nature. Everything is like the shiny, <laughs> the shiny new thing. And then we're just, oh, yeah, no, this is, oh, how cute, how lovely. Mm. But I, I, that's why I think people should start with a cat, work their way up, and what? then get a dog, what about and then a see if they still care about like what. Well, yeah, you could do multiple like, small dogs. You could just do loads, yeah, yeah, and then still see if your first pet is alive. <laughs> <laughs> if you're still giving a shit about the stick insect you got yeah. when you're already on a horse, then have a kid because it'll be fine. <laughs> that that should be the beta test, shouldn't it? Yeah, don't just do one then kid. No, do three or four <laughs> rescue out. Always rehome them. Rehome your stick and sex, guys. Don't be buying new. <laughs> okay, so having a dog, going for a, a walk. Got my dog, Riley, yeah. and I love her to bits, and I'll take her for a walk. Um, obviously, there is just being immersed in nature and wildlife, so I'll go with no headphones, and I'll go with my camera. I bought a camera during lockdown, to, and I, I, Christina, my girlfriend, got me a lovely macro lens, so close-up, so I can do close-up insect. I've really got into bee photography, Steve. Have you? <laughs> I really like taking pictures of bees and and flies and wasps it's a really once you dive into that world and you get closer into it it's a really beautiful kind of when you get a picture of them flying i'll send you a picture i'll please send you one of my pictures i yeah. really i really really enjoy it you kind of like go it's like being in a rainforest and it's like you get that nice picture and um i guess that's really relaxing because it's something you can do on your own you don't have your headphones in and just i try to open up my senses more so when i go for a walk if i'm on uh, obviously the Hampstead Heath or Highgate Woods because it's near me I open up my ears a bit more I start listening and, and questioning what I'm hearing okay. and like what, what is that bird I keep hearing that bird again and again and again so I'll record it and then I'll try and identify it and start learning it's, it's a nice path to start going down so there's those two things and I think the other thing away from nature and stuff I just try and it's not forced happiness but I try to feel the positive in, in as much situation so if I am feeling 
anxious, stressed, or that's been a really horrible day, and also the fucking world's on fire. I mean, do you remember when we set fire to the ocean like seven months ago? Do you remember when that happened? Yeah. I don't know if you remember that news article, the ocean suddenly set on fire, and we're like, there, fuck me, what have we done? So that really hit me quite hard. I was like, what hope have we got if we can't even keep water from burning? Like, it's, it's mad. Um, I just find trying to laugh about the ridiculousness of the world just kind of makes me go, it'll be okay. It's got to be all right. And then I'll spend time with Christina. We'll go on the narrow boat. We'll come back, refresh, recharge. I'm like, right, let's get a podcast out and let's, let's have a good time. I think just putting yourself in that mindset of going, Again, not forced happiness, but going, let's try and be happy today. Okay, the, as I took the bin bag out of the bin, it all split. But fuck me, that, like, if someone filmed that, that'd be funny. I'm just <laughs> trying to learn. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. If I was watching that on Twitter, I'd be laughing about it. So trying to find the funny in it, and it's fucking hard, but trying to do that really helps me as well, I think. I think that's um, a really good point, though, that, you know, being happy requires effort. It's not something you just... Yeah. I mean, some, some people are just really lucky. You know, they're just born with this sort of like... Yeah incredibly easygoing temperament where you know they're sort of just everything's nice and easy and chill it's just like fuck you you know where others yeah, and we to, hate those people fucking hate them you know but you know we're, trying, we're trying our best ryan aren't we we're trying our best to be happy and that's that's the main thing uh but there i do very think few things you point. enjoy naturally i think don't you find very few things but you have to always put in a bit of an effort to enjoy it and there's you always have to be putting a bit of an effort to uh, be sad about things as well sometimes like if you go bowling and mm-hmm. just stand there right like, this isn't fun but if yeah. you go over a few friends and you try and you make that effort that's where the, the joy and the positivity comes from that's yeah. a weird example but no no it's, it's right it's true no but it's just in terms of uh, so i'm doing this thing at the moment i was seeing this cbt sleeping coach because i had insomnia and so as part oh, wow but as part of it, I have to do this diary every night before I go to sleep. So ideally, you know, you're mm. getting rid of all your anxieties before you go into bed. And so you have to, a part of you do it, you draw a, a smiley face and and then a sad face. And on the smiley face, all the things that, you know, any positive things that have happened that day or anything that's made you happy. And then the same for any of the negative things. And then you review mm. it in the morning. And then ideally you look at any of the patterns over the last few days. You go, oh, that, you know, reaching out to that friend or going out, going out for lunch or like you said, bowling or someone that, that made me happy. I'm going to do that again. And then you repeat it. It's like putting in that effort because, you know, I, yeah. I, two weeks could go by and I might not have seen anybody. And then suddenly I'm feeling like, Oh God. And I don't even know why. Yeah. And they go, oh, actually I haven't seen anyone. I've seen out the house in two weeks. Yeah. It's mad. Cause that's the thing. I think that's what you've just hit on the nail head. It's recognizing what, not, not, not just what the problems are, but what the positives are. So you're like, yes, exactly. sometimes you can sit there and be like, everything's shit. Everything's fucking like, the world's on fire, government of fuck, COVID, loads of people have died. It's autumn now, there's not a lot of sun. And you can go down such a fucking dangerous hole with that. And you can still feel those things, but then also go, wait a minute. Or if I'm talking to myself, I go, wait a minute, Brian. You've got a podcast that you're getting paid to do and you get to talk to amazing people. You run a dog daycare company and you get to work a really good working life balance to get paid to walk dogs on Hampstead Heath. Your girlfriend lives on a narrow boat, so every weekend you're on a canal just venturing around London. Your girlfriend's incredible. You got a dog, and you get to chat to Steve for his podcast tonight. Everything's fine. <laughs> I, I was about to say I'm I'm jealous of your life, but I couldn't. I was, you're, making, you're making me <laughs> do it for to, yourself. Yeah, no, no. I was about to say you're making me jealous, but then I realised once you said that last line and you get to chat to Steve, it would have made me sound very egotistical. So I couldn't really say <laughs> that line. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, mate, I'm so jealous you get to chat. I can interview you. you in a minute if you want. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we can do that. Um, okay, so that's good. I get, I've get. i got a clear idea of what, what you do to, you know, relax mm. and unwind. And there's some, some, yeah, really lovely advice there. Are there any books that you've read in the course of your life, Ryan Dalton, mm. that um, have, have inspired you in any way? I was given a book when I was, um, so when I was working in the zoo, when was that? 2012 i think when i was a i I wasn't a zookeeper at the time i was working um in the education department and my manager a really inspiring woman called justine so cared about kind of delivering a message or an experience to public Mm -hmm. um which is what our job was in the zoo and she gave me a book and we would talk about disney all all the time like we're big disney fanatics and we love disneyland and we love theming and we liked being taken away from the real world and kind of like shown a different world and you, you would forget where you you'd go on like the haunted house ride and you'd, you'd actually think you're in a haunted house. We love that kind of shit. And she gave me a book called um, Lessons from the Mouse, which was by the, I think he was the operations director for Disney uh, for 20 years called Dennis Snow. Um, and he kind of gave not, secrets but he gave everything he learned for working as a management working his way up in disneyland about how disney are so good at at capturing imagination and taking you away with that about the the detail that they go into and there's little things that you don't even realize you you will never see a wet floor sign at a disneyland something like that you'll never see one um you'll never see a delivery coming at disneyland because it all happens underground there's all this stuff where it's everything's so hidden. But what I liked about this book is it wasn't just like, this is how Disney do it. It was like, but this is the actual, you know, tricks and how you can put it into your work and your life to be positive. So it's kind of, it, it taught you how to separate things up. Like you just said there about, about before going to bed about the positive and the negative and how to see the overlaps or to see the patterns and stuff like that to perform better going forward. And what I liked about this book is it slowed everything down, um, and especially at, at the time in my job that was such a fast-paced job. It made you go, wait, stop, let's journey back and let's correct some of these things that we're doing. Um, so she gave me that book and I read, I must have read it 20 times over, I think, and I've given it to my brother since. And it was just, it was kind of in, inspirational to the point of going, there's lessons I'm learning here that I've got a feeling that in 20 years time, I'm going to go, oh shit, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this because of that book. <laughs> but i might not have picked up on it at the time it was really really interesting um really i mean it would have worked a shit ton for comedy i'm running comedy gigs so many more comedy clubs could have taken lessons from that book (laughs) yeah yeah okay i'm asking you that one to read um final question for you what does the Mm. idea of balance mean to you or not that's a really good question i think balance is doing the things you love and being happy about it i think it doesn't mean that you spend 50% of the time doing that and 50% of the time doing that. I think if you're living your life and you can write down the things you have and you're happy about that, then you've got a good balance. It doesn't matter how much time you spend at work. It doesn't matter how much time you spend with friends or family. It doesn't matter how much time you spend on your own or with people. A lot of people always say to me, but you can't be on your own, can you? You can't be introverted. And I can, but I don't like to be. And I don't think that's a problem Mm. Um, because I have, that's my section of balance. If I can have 4% introvert time, 
and 96% extrovert, then that's my balance and it doesn't matter. So I think really, as long as you've got the points in your life that you're happy with and write, I cannot stress enough, write them down, write what you have in your life. And if you're happy with how that's working and you feel joy most of the time, then you've got balance. Love it. That's a great answer. Thank you. Um, where can people keep up to date with your, what you're doing and your podcast? Uh, what's the best links and social media for you, Ryan? Um, I've tried to keep all my social media the same. So it's at Mr. Ryan J. Dalton on Twitter okay. and Instagram. Um, for the podcast, I, on my own social media, I've got my Linktree account. So if you click on that, it will take you to the podcast, social media, and to the apps where you can listen to it. Um, but my podcast is called Into the Wild, um, and it's Into the Wild Pod on Instagram and Into the Wild Podcast on Twitter. And again, the Linktree accounts are there to take you to wherever you listen to your podcast, take you to our website. And I hope your listeners listen to it because it's about nature. And I think sometimes we forget to enjoy listening about nature. It's, it's, it, is, it is shit out there, but also there's some fucking good stuff going on. And I think what you do is you, uh, no pun intended, but you strike a balance between being you know, laid back, like you said, and, and a fun host, uh, but also, you know, you're dissecting, you know, very sort of like deep subject matters, important subject yeah. matters in sort of bite-sized chunks that people can take away and, and feel like they're, you know, they're somewhat informed on what's going on out there. Yeah, that's exactly what I try to leave no stone unturned. I'm like, well, if it's happening in the world, why shouldn't we talk about it? And let's, yeah. you know, try and do that in the most, again, balanced way we can. <laughs> Great. Right, mate, really great to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, thanks yeah, so much you too, for the man. podcast. Absolute pleasure, man. Take care of yourself. Perfect. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 